Praise the Lord. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Amen. As I mentioned a couple weeks ago, it is my intention, remainder of the Sundays that I have here, to focus on some things I want to leave with you. Today I want to take a few moments and talk about the completeness of God's call. I think it's important to reiterate some very basic things. That is important as we move, as you move forward, as we all move forward in God's will for our lives. I invite your attention to Genesis chapter 45. I'd like to read verses 4 and 5 and then verses 7 and 8 in your hearing as we look into the word of the Lord this morning. Completeness of God's call. God does not do anything haphazardly. He does not do anything halfway. He does not do anything, as the old saying is, halter-skelter. He does things to the completeness and perfection per his will. The Bible says, And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved nor angry with yourselves, because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Then verses 7 and 8 tell us, And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all of his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Let's bow our heads together and ask the Lord to bless his word today. Heavenly Father, again we're so thankful for this day you have given us. Thankful for the privilege an opportunity that I've been given to stand before you in this congregation to minister your word. I pray that you'll speak through this vessel, that the Holy Spirit will have the liberty to speak as it would be your will. And we will thank you for it, praise you for it at all. It's in Jesus' name that we ask it today. And everyone said amen. In our sermon for today, we're going to consider the extensiveness and completeness of God's call I think it's important to understand the extensiveness and completeness of God's call and how he equips those who he calls. We're talking about sons and daughters, young men, young women, and us old folks as well. At this point, let me also emphasize this includes each and every one of us as believers in the body of Christ. Every believer in the body of Christ is called. Amen. Nobody's been called to be a bench warmer. Or a pew occupier, we've all been called to be a witness to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe it is noteworthy as well as interesting and encouraging to know that throughout the Bible, most of the people God called and worked through mightily are what we would today would probably call just every believer. In other words, they were very ordinary people that God called and enabled to work with Him in the world. Remember, God's plan from the foundation of the world was redemption for humanity. Amen. Their interpersonal relationship of love and trust in Jesus and God always determined how much God was able to do through them. Now, I think it's important to understand and to really get it etched in the quarters of our mind something I'm about to tell you, and here it is. Their abilities or skills were not as important as their relationship with God. Amen. Our abilities or our skills are not as important as our relationship with God. 
More important than our abilities and our skills is our relationship with Jesus Christ. For it is our relationship which will determine how the Lord can use us in His kingdom. Never forget that. It is our, His, it is our relationship which will determine just how much the Lord can use us in His kingdom. Consider with me for a moment David, who was a shepherd, and God chose him for a very special assignment, or a calling, if you will, in which God would guide His people through him. I want you to listen to the words that are recorded in the 78th Psalm, verses 70 through 72. The Bible says, He also chose David his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that had young, he brought him, to shepherd Jacob his people, and Israel his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hand. I want you to pay particular attention to where God brought David from. Amen. It wasn't from the royal palaces. It wasn't from anywhere of hierarchy. He brought him from the fields, from being a shepherd. Another very important passage to consider at this point is found in Amos. The Bible says this in Amos chapter 7 verses 14 through 15. This was Amos' answer to King Amaziah. He said, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. The point I'm trying to get across here is that God just took ordinary if you will, run-of-the-mill daily people and use them mightily for the service of His kingdom. But when He called them, there was a completeness of His God's call in their life. Aside from the fact Amos is just a typical ordinary individual, just going about his daily business, I think it's important to note the importance and magnitude of his calling. Because you see, the purpose of Amos' prophecy is to awaken Israel and its surrounding nations to the fact that the nation is both responsible and accountable for its sins. In fact, his theme then is national accountability for national sins. And what an awesome responsibility for just an ordinary man, just an ordinary preacher who God called from the, ship, from the, from the field shepherding sheep. Peter was a fisherman. And most of all, other biblical characters were what we would call just ordinary people until God assigned them responsibilities and callings and ministry in His kingdom, where He would work through them mightily to accomplish His purpose. Peter, a man, a fisherman by trade, stood one infamous day and preached one of the most fabulous, most outstanding messages in the history of all Christianity on the day of Pentecost. This has continued to be God's way to this very day. You see, I've watched God do this for more than 45 years as I have served as an evangelist, a pastor, teacher, as well as various other ministries among God's ordinary people. It's been a thrill for me to watch as God just takes an individual, begins to work on them, begins to move through them, begins to work in their life, and to turn them from just an ordinary individual to someone God can use for the purpose and glory of His kingdom. As you know, I like to use biblical characters to illustrate the subject content of the sermons that I preach. And for the purpose of this today, we will use none other than Joseph. As you can probably tell, I like Joseph. Before we get into the details of Joseph, how it pertains to the completeness of God's call, I would like to take a moment and direct your attention to Paul's writing in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. 
in an effort to just perhaps to, to, to establish a mindset as we move forward. And here's what Paul wrote and very familiar. He said, and we know. He didn't say, I think. He didn't say, I think it's a possibility. He said, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. With all that being said, and with our present mindset, let's take a look for just a few moments, if you will, at the completeness of God's call, using our biblical analogy in a short preview of the life of Joseph. Joseph is number 11 out of 12 boys, and we pick him up in this story at the age of 17 years. Can you imagine? Fortunately, I'm the oldest of seven, and I can't imagine what it might be like to be the youngest of 11. It is at this junction in Joseph's life that he receives the call from God in the form of dreams. And we know how tricky and how iffy and how entrapping dreams could be if they're not handled correctly. There were two dreams to be exact, and there is something that we must understand about the completeness of God's call as is illustrated in Joseph's calling. And that is this, God had a specific time, a specific place, 13 years in the future, for Joseph to be. Joseph had no idea. God didn't send him a telegram or a postcard in advance, say, I've got something down the road a few years I'm going to prepare you for. He had no idea. But God had a specific time and place, 13 years in the future, for Joseph to be. And it was going to take a series of circumstances and events for him to get there. After declaring his calling to his father and brothers by revealing them his dreams, Joseph's experienced some really difficult times. Understanding he was a favored son, his brothers plotted against him to destroy him and ended up selling him to the, Ish to the Ishmaelites, a caravan of merchantmen who were on their way to Egypt. Now please keep in mind... It was a long way from the eleventh of twelve sons, just ordinary shepherds and farmers, to second in command of the nation of Egypt. It was a long, long way. And it was going to take some things to get God's calling completed in Joseph's life. It was and is a quantum leap from a shepherd boy in a faraway country to the prime minister of Egypt. Joseph had an appointment with the will of God, and it was going to take the completeness of God's call to get Joseph there at the appointed time. Please allow me for just a moment to discuss and to point out that it has been a quantum leap for you and I to get from where we were to where we are today. I wasn't born this way. It was a quantum leap for God to get me from where I was to where I am today. By that I mean we have come from being nobodies and just ordinary people to what Peter described this way in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. He said, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. What a quantum leap to bring us from what we were to what Peter has just described as a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a special people. 
That reminds you once again of the words of Paul to the church at Philippi, which is applicable for us today. Chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul wrote, being confident of this very thing, that he has, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad for that promise? He that started this, he that begun this work in you and I will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So we pick up Joseph. He is now in Egypt in a country and culture he didn't know. Surrounded by a language he didn't understand. This once longed for child of Rachel and openly favored son of Jacob had been sold as a common slave and forced into a situation that seemed even worse than the pit into which his brothers had initially thrown him. But remember, he has a destiny. He has an appointment with the will of God. As we are introduced to his circumstances in Egypt, I want you to notice two things that are conspicuous by their absence. First, there is no mention of time. We have no indication of how long Joseph has been in Potiphar's house or when these events begin to unfold. He could have been there two years. He could have been there two months. We do not know. The second thing is this. Nothing is said about the adjustments that Joseph had to make in his life. Remember, he had come from a rural culture, an unsophisticated people, and a home where he had been the pride and joy of his mother and the favorite child of a doting, aging father. Without warning, he was grabbed roughly by his brothers, stripped of his beautiful robe, dumped into a deep, dirty pit, He was rescued from that situation only to be sold to hardened slave traders and taken over land by a caravan to a distant land where he was set on the block and sold like a cheap piece of merchandise. All of the time, God has his hand in it all. I've got to tell you the changes and adjustment that Joseph faced must have been mind-boggling, phenomenal to say the least. We read in the Genesis account that he was sold to a man, as we have already mentioned, named Potiphar, who is described as the captain of the bodyguard, or as the NIV just translates it, captain of the guard. This group was an elite, courageous band of rugged men. In fact, the Jewish historian Alfred Edersheim describes that, that group by telling us that Potiphar was nobody to fool around with. He was a man of seasoned military experience with power over life and death. Yet Joseph not only adjusted to his new situation, but he flourished in it. Not only did he adjust, but he flourished in it. And for one major reason, I said all of what I've said so far to get to this, for one major reason, and that reason emerges in the beautiful phrase that appears a number of times in Joseph's stories, and it's this, And the Lord was with Joseph. And the Lord was with Joseph. Almighty God was intimately involved in Joseph's life. All through the good times, through the bad times, through the ups and downs, God guided him. God gave him facility in the Egyptian language. On top of all of that, he gave him favor in the eyes of Potiphar. Clearly, God was the secret of Joseph's success. And let me tell you today, my friends, whether you stand behind the pulpit or whether you sing, whether you play an instrument, whatever it is you do for the glory of God, God is the secret of our success if we have any success at all. 
Luck has nothing to do with it. We all know well the series of events that led up to Joseph being cast into the Egyptian prison. The lovely, not-so-gracious Mrs. Potiphar. Remember, the Egyptian prison was the next step in the series of events that would take Joseph to his ultimate destiny. Having been unfairly treated, unexpectedly restricted by circumstances, and falsely accused, Joseph now finds himself in prison. In fact, according to Genesis chapter 10 and verse 15, it says it, 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 it describes it as a dungeon. He's back in a pit again. The question, I wonder at this point, just how old was Joseph? No one really knows for sure, probably in his late 20s, but I think the bigger question is this. Where was God? Where was God? Don't we ask ourselves that sometimes? God, where are you? Where was God? You see, we have no trouble seeing God in the good things. Which is human nature. doesn't make us a bad person. Often we can see God in the questionable things. But where is God when the dungeon experiences of our lives occur? Where is God when all is unfair? Does His silence mean His, His absence? Let me tell you, friend, we're not left alone to wonder. In fact, in Genesis chapter 39 and verse 21, the Bible de- clearly declares, The Lord was with Joseph. That's where God was. He was right there. He was there in the pit that his brothers threw him in. He was there in Potiphar's house. Who do you think gave him the strength and the fortitude to resist the temptuous approaches and gestures of Mrs. Potiphar? God was with Joseph. He was right there. He never left. He was with Joseph. Not only that, he did for Joseph what he had done before. He gave him favor in the eyes of others. False accusations put Joseph in prison, but it was the Lord who stayed near him and nurtured his soul while he was there. As a result, Joseph found favor in the eyes of the chief jailer. This is the guy that we might call the prison warden. Found favor to the point where the man trusted Joseph to supervise all the other prisoners. The warden trusted and respected Joseph so much that he did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. You see, the Lord God reminded, remain first in Joseph's life. I emphasize that the Lord remained first in Joseph's life. He was the focus of his life. The lens of God's will stood between Joseph and his circumstances, enabling Joseph to see God in them, to read God in them, and enabling God to use him in them. I think most of us know well the story of the king's cupbearer and the chief baker. We're not going into details of that. Those guys who became Joseph's cellmates, who in fact had dreams, and Joseph, by God's grace, had helped interpret the dreams for those two men. The cupbearer would be restored, the chief baker would be hanged. One thing that Joseph asked of the cupbearer was when he was restored to his prominent position, would you remember me? Those, and I emphasize, two full years in the Egyptian prison for Joseph were neither exciting nor eventful. 
They represented a long, dull, monotonous, unspectacular, slow-moving grind. Month after month after month of, well, just simply nothing. Not even the Genesis account attempts to make those years seem meaningful. Perhaps from a human perspective, they weren't. But from God's perspective, they were. That's what it's like when you're in a period of waiting. Nothing's happening. We just wait, wait, and wait. But I must tell you, it only seems like nothing is happening. In reality, a whole lot is happening. Events are occurring apart from our involvement. Furthermore, we are being strengthened. We are being established. We are being perfected. We are being refined. Refined into pure gold. I think I made this comment regarding Joseph earlier, but I will reiterate it again. Joseph was being shaped for greatness. He was being shaped to be used for God in a way that only God could use someone who would relinquish all of their rights and all of their things and all of their privileges to God. You see, all whom God uses greatly are first hidden in the secret of His presence, away from the pride of men. It is there our vision becomes clear and it is there the silt drops from the current of our life and our faith begins to grasp His arm. Think about this with me for a moment before I close. Abraham waited for the birth of Isaac. Moses didn't leave the Exodus until he was 80 years of age. Elijah waited beside the brook. Noah waited 120 years for rain. Paul was hidden away for three years in Arabia. And the list goes on and on. It doesn't end. You see, God is working while His people are waiting. Joseph is being shaped for a significant future through all of the events of his life. That's what's happening. For the present time, nothing. But for the future, everything. Imagine Joseph as he woke up every day thinking, man, what a waste my life is. I had all these dreams and all these visions. I thought, sure, God showed me this and God showed me that. Maybe it was just a bad dream. Here I am now, a slave in a faraway land that I know nothing about. In a place I, I have no idea how and why I'm here, other than my mean, honorary brothers put me here. Day after day, but somehow in the midst of all of that, Joseph knew that God was up to something. He just didn't know what. Well, how do we know that? Because when the day finally came for Joseph to reveal to his brothers who he was, Joseph said, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. He said, God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Notice what he says to his brothers. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. After those two full years, Joseph experienced a turning point in his life. 
on a day that seemed like any other day. That morning dawned like every other morning over the previous two years in jail. Nothing, nothing big, nothing major. Same O, same O. Just like the morning that dawned before Moses saw the burning bush. Just like the morning that dawned before David was anointed by Samuel as the king elect. For Joseph, just another dungeon day, except for one little matter Joseph knew nothing about. Up the street, way somewhere in the palace area, Pharaoh had a dream. Far out of Joseph's sight, far away from anything he understood that was taking place, Pharaoh had a dream. That got the wheels in motion for Joseph to finally come to his place and his destiny with the will of God. Let me say this as I close. Let me leave this thought with you. Something you need to really grasp a hold of. God has no loose ends in His eternal plan. He has no loose ends in His eternal plan. When He touches your life, it is a part of a complete and thorough strategy. And the response of each person, including yours, is vital to the bigger picture. Your response to what God is doing is vital to the bigger picture. Amen? Let's stand together. God's call is complete. He doesn't leave any stone unturned. Amen?